Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's gonna be sick. Welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. I'm Jimmy Murphy. He's Pierre McGuire, and it is another Ask Away Wednesday here on the Eye Test. So for all you viewers out there watching right now, throw your questions in the comments section. We will get to them in the second half of the show. Plenty to talk about in the hockey world. Uh, Pierre, I think we'll start off by saying that, you know, and I know it's it's the biggest topic of news right now in, in the NHL, um, the Hockey Canada 2018 World Junior Scandal uh, with the news that five players have been told to surrender to the London police in their investigation. Um, we're just going to, right now, because of legal matters and because basically all we know is hearsay, there's no facts that have been uh, released yet. Uh, it's just pure speculation. So I think you're with me, Pierre, that we'll, we'll say that's our comment. We don't have a comment on that right now. It's a, it's a very sad and disturbing situation. Um, and when things start to come to the surface and there's facts to be discussed, then we will address them. I think that's well said and it's appropriate. Um, there's always going to be a rush to judgment on either side. Uh, and I just don't think speculative things and thinking at this time is really appropriate. So I think Jimmy, you know, until we know more, until everybody knows more, it's really hard to formulate anything. The only thing I would say though, when you're someone's son, you have a mother, obviously, you have a wife, you have a sister, you have a daughter. I have all those things in my case and lots of female friends over time. You don't like to hear any kind of story like this. No, you just, you just don't. And, and, and that's kind of where I'm at right now with the whole thing. I, I no. it just, it's painful to think about. It really is. And, and I'll, I'll echo that pair too, being the, the father of a 12 year old daughter who is, you know, getting into her teenage years now. And, you know, it just, it's scary what the realities uh, and sort of the horrors that the that kids, teenagers, uh, young adults can encounter and some of the horrible stuff that can happen. So, you know, that that's, I'm the same thing. And that's, that's how I feel about it right now. I don't know who's guilty, who's not, or what, what happened. None of that. All I know is something happened for the London police to do this. And it doesn't sound too good. And I just hope that, you know, whoever was involved, uh, they figure this out the right and proper way. The one thing I will say on a hockey standpoint, Pierre, is it it definitely is going to disrupt some teams. Um, not to downplay the seriousness of what we're just talking about and, and bring it to a hockey level, but just I think that needs to be recognized. That, And we saw it last night. I, I, mm-hmm. I truly think that that new, you know, Carter Hart taking a leave of absence, if Indeed, there is a connection there. I think that the, the team was affected. I, I saw it on the ice. I think there'll be other teams like that. If they lose players, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how it all unravels on the ice as well as off it. Well, the Flyers were stunned against Tampa. There's no question about it. They started the game stunned. They were down 3 nothing, And you can yeah. just see they, they didn't have a lot going on. And, you know, obviously uh, – Again, we're going to talk about hockey because that's the nature of the show. But, you know, it's hard to talk about hockey when you think about what is being talked about right now uh, in a real world matter. 
but you're right. Um, we had Tommy Fitzgerald on yesterday. He mm -hmm. had to know what a gentleman, by the way, he had to know what was going on and he still took the time to speak with us and speak to the fans. And I thought, um, I thought about it a lot, you know, last night and again this morning. And uh, I really appreciate and respect the way Tommy dealt with things yesterday with us. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he's had to deal with a lot more serious <laughs> stuff today, uh, especially when you consider Cal foot and, and, you know, obviously Mikey McLeod, um, two players that play for their team. And, and Mikey, we talked about him not too long ago, being an important part of their team in terms of their role players. And he was getting moved up the lineup because of the injury to Jimmy Hughes. And you, you, we talked about it, and you just said it very, very appropriately, Jimmy. I mean, the truth is it's going to affect teams. And I know people don't want to talk about it, but we're a hockey show. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. this is the reality of what's, what's going yeah. on now, unfortunately. And until we know more about the whole situation, it's not appropriate for us to talk about that part of it. No, but a team we mentioned just now, I'd like to start off talking about them. There's a ton of hockey topics that I want to tackle with you. You guys, you and I were both – kind of trading ideas earlier today. And that, that is the Flyers, uh, Pierre. And, you know, when I sent you some of my topic ideas, you counted uh, with a few of yourself, all great ones that we'll get to. And one of them was the Flyers. Are they, are they coming back to reality? Is, is the, the grind and um, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say uh, reality isn't the right word because I think they've proven that, our realistic expectations were way off and I, nothing can take away what they've done to this point. But what I'm going to ask you now is a young team Pierre, that has exceeded expectations that has done a lot more winning than probably they themselves mm -hmm. thought they would. It, it, is the magnitude or the weight of that starting to hit them a bit, obviously health issues are factoring in as well, but mentally can that happen to a team when, you know, they come flying out of the gate and then they kind of extend it even further than one might expect. And then you get into these dog days, January and February, Pierre, you've been a coach. Um, does it affect the players uh, when they're kind of in a situation maybe that they weren't planning on being in? Yeah, and especially young ones that haven't been through a lot of this. So I would agree. Again, I think it's a very valid point and it's very fair. Um, you could almost sense some frustration yesterday we usually don't see a very demonstrative John Tortorella since he took over the bench. There was one power play goal. You can just see they panned to the bench, and he was upset. I don't blame him. I, I I've been in his shoes. I'd have been upset too. I mean, it was just a faulty play by their defense. And you know when you play Tampa, you can't take penalties because they're going to score. And, you know, Bread and butter. everybody's professional in this league. I get it. Some people are more professional than others. The Tampa Bay Lightning are professional power play guys. Yep. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. As long as they got Kucherov, they got Stamkos, they got Braden Point, they got Sergeyev when he's healthy, they got Hedman when he's healthy. Like that's not going anywhere. That no. that power plays locked and loaded. It's like what Washington did for years and years and years when they had Nicky Backstrom and Ovechkin and Oshie and John Carlson. It just that those things don't go away. Yep. So when you're a coach, when you're a coach and you're coaching against them, one of the first things you do is we're playing five on five. Yeah. Like, and it's, we're not taking penalties in the offensive zone. If we're taking a penalty, we're going to make it a hard one. We're not taking tripping yeah. penalties. We're not taking hooking penalties. We're not taking interference penalties. Cool. They're going to be hard penalties. Exactly. So I think John got a little, you know, upset yesterday. And I'll blame him. Again, I don't blame him. No, it's allowed to do it. You know what, Murph? I'm going to say this now. The problem for them, I think, is going to be not having a lot of experience. 
at this time playing meaningful games, but this will help them long-term. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Keith Jones and Danny Briere decide to do going into the deadline. Yeah. If this team realistically can be in the playoffs, and if they do, do they make a move? Or yeah. do they realistically think, we're playing with house money right now, let's just keep it, we're not going to move any of our assets, we're really happy with the direction. I think they're going to be one of the teams – that will be fun to watch at the deadline because we're going to really know where they are. And then there's a lot in that area too. Now on the other side of that game too, Pierre, and look, you've been warning, you've been saying for the last couple of weeks on this show, watch out for Tampa. They're coming. They're coming. Well, look at the standings today. And yes, it could change depending on how the Toronto Maple Leafs do against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. But when you woke up and you look at the standings today, lo and behold, and I'm telling you, Pierre, it caught me by surprise. There's the Tampa Bay lightning in third place for the first time this season in the Atlantic division, trailing their state rival, the Florida Panthers by only five points and seven and three in the last 10, they are coming and they're coming right at the right time, Pierre. And and you were correct in saying, don't count them out. Never count out the heart of a champion, never count out experience. And as you said, never count out that power play. Yeah, no, the power play is key and it helps them overcome some of the losses they've had. Obviously, Jimmy, um, what I would say is this. I think they will be active going into the deadline. I think they're not prepared to punt on this team. I think they think as long as they've got the goaltender um, that they have and they think they have the people um, that they have up front in particular, uh, that they think they have a chance to win. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to be active at the deadline as well. I really would not be surprised. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, well, let's let's stay in the state of Pennsylvania, Pierre. And we didn't get a chance to talk uh, about this yesterday just because we had Tommy Fitz on and and then kind of followed up with questions from that. But on the other side of the Keystone State is a team that's going the complete opposite way of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and even one might argue the Flyers as well. And that's the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are an absolute hot mess right now, Pierre. Uh, Let's see. I don't know if we got the clips. Yes, we got them. Okay, I got them in a little late, but our our (laughs) awesome production crew, they got them all ready to go. So let's go to... I would say probably if you asked them uh, or asked both of them, one of the most embarrassing moments of the storied Hall of Fame careers of Chris Letang and of Jenny Malkin the other night in Arizona, teams trailing three to two, entering the third period. And let's go to this clip. So they got Crosby back on the ice. Letang's got it. and He'll bring it along and a delayed penalty. Now, this is big for the Penguins. They're just trying to kill as much time off. It went in! Oh my goodness! Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then they go down. So that makes it 4 2 Arizona. Then they go down shortly after that, 5 to 2. Uh, they got some other power play chances. They couldn't get it going. And they just look disjointed right now, Pierre. It's, they're, they're out of sync. Those are two guys who have played together forever, know each other so well. Their tendencies on and off the ice. So when I see that, that just tells me, and I text it right to you, I said, I don't know, maybe it's time for a shakeup um, in Pittsburgh. I just don't know how they do it with salary cap and all that. But something's got to give here soon, Pierre, because they're just out of sync. Well, there's a couple things, and you're right on all those things, but there's a couple things, and one of them is Jake Gensel, who needs a contract. You know, I did a statistical breakdown just for myself today, very early this morning. And I looked at what William Nylander has for stats and what Jake Gensel has for stats. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to bore you, 
but they're almost the same. So you look at Nylander, he's played 566 games in the league. Jake Gensel's played 497. Jake Gensel has 217 goals. Nylander has 200 goals. Okay? I mean, you can't make these stats up. Yeah. Gensel has 244 assists. Nylander has 291. One guy has 491 points, Nylander. One guy has 461 points, Gensel. Remember, Gensel now has only played 497 games. Nylander's played 566. The playoffs, again, it's crazy how similar they are. Nylander, 45 playoff games, 23 plus 38 equals 61 playoff points. Jake Gensel, 58 playoff games, so more playoff games. 34 goals, 24 assists, 58 points. You, like, so I'm just, nobody wants to address this elephant in the room for Pittsburgh. They're all focused on all these other things. If I'm running that team, that is the biggest elephant in the room. Oh, yeah. What are we going to do with Jake Gensel after the William Nylander contract? Right. Says, if I'm Nylander's representative, or if I'm Gensel's representative, excuse me, that's my comparable. Yep. And you, you can't. It's there. I mean, it's in black. Those numbers work for they work for Nylander, mm-hmm. and they're going to work for Gensel. And so, if if Pittsburgh can't find a way to get him signed at their rate that they think, they have to do something really aggressive here at the deadline. They cannot lose that player. Just knowing what they have in in Wilkesbury Scranton, knowing what they have in their player pool draft pick wise, and knowing what they have in terms of age, they're the oldest team in the NHL. So, you know, this is a problem, and that is a huge problem. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's. I just look at it, and look, I, I want to preface this by saying that, and I've known him for a while. Uh, he was a coach, uh, the the second coach I, well, no, third technically, uh, that I had to deal with covering the Bruins in my career, and that's Mike Sullivan. So I've all I have a lot of respect for Mike Sullivan. I got all the time in the world for him, and he's. He's a great coach. You could argue he'll go down as a Hall of Fame coach, and he's he's one of the best coaches of this generation. But I look at that team right now, and you know, you got a lot of players that are going to be hard to move. And I just I I feel for him right now because I think he's looking at it and saying, you know, I don't get this because Crosby's having a hard trophy season right now. Mm-hmm. Malkin can still Malkin can still play. Latang can still play. Eric Carlson is a year removed from a Norris trophy. Like we'll get into that in a second. That could be the other big elephant in the room. I mean, you you didn't think they were going to be top of the standings all year or anything, but I just, I don't think Sully or anyone saw this coming. And so he's just, he's probably at a loss right now, Pierre. I mean, you've been in situations like that. It's you're just trying to figure out solutions and you, doing it over and over and over. And it's like, what, what do I need to get through to you guys right now? What do you think Mike Sullivan's thinking right now? And how does he approach things going forward? One other player you need to recognize is Marcus Pedersen, who I think is one of the most undervalued players in the league. He's been tremendous for the Penguins, but they need more guys like him. They really do. That being said, if I'm Mike Sullivan, one of the things I'm looking at, how can this power play whether it's 30th in the league, 29th, 20th, depends on the day, obviously, and the variation. But more times than not this season, it's been 30 to 28. Yeah. It hasn't been better than 28. It hasn't been worse than 30. But it's been there. 
And so I'm looking at that and going, wait a second, we have Malkin, we have Crosby, we have Latang, we have Carlson, we have Gensel, we have Rust. Explain how this power play is not better. Now, I know Mike doesn't run it. You know, I know Todd Reardon runs it. Um, but when it was going great, it was a big issue for them, and it's not going great. So as a coach, you're wondering, how could the power play be so bad? So that's the first thing I'd look at. Uh, second thing I look at is total team defense. They are not taking away any gaps in the neutral zone at all. If you you watch that Arizona game, we were texting back and forth, and I'm going, yeah. look at the room, like the room in the neutral zone. There's just so there's no trust between the forwards and the defense. I don't know how that happens with a veteran team, and they they are a veteran. They're the oldest team in the league. So Mike's got work to do. Yeah, Pierre, and getting back to Carlson and and Latang, very similar players, right? Um, well, obviously Latang's won the cup twice and he's more out oh, three times. And he's more accomplished, but at the same time, similar styles. I, I, I wonder is, is too much of that, of like the offensive defenseman type player. Can you have too much of that in the lineup? And, and when you have two of them, does it maybe sort of X each other out? And that's what we're seeing. I don't know if that makes sense. It's crazy. I'm just no, it's a fair, it's a, here. No, it's a fair point, but I'll, let me throw this at you. Just real life. I know it's a few years ago. Sergei Zuboff and Brian Leach played for the New York Rangers that won the Stanley Cup in 1994. Those are two of the better offensive defensemen in their time in the in their generation uh, in the league. So I mean, you can I, I look at what they had in, in Anaheim in 2007? Just bring it a little bit closer to this generation. You know, when they have Niedermeyer and they've got Pronger. I mean, yeah. you know, so, uh, I, you know, I, okay, J- Devon Taves and, and Kale McCarr a few years yep. ago, yep. Colorado, two years ago. So, uh, no, I, that shouldn't be an issue. Okay. I don't think it – and don't forget Sammy Gerrard, too, uh, yep. as an offensive defenseman caller. No. In fact, I think that's actually a good thing because you become a hard team to forecheck. That being said, I don't get it on the power play. I just – I. Why is it not working? Yeah, not, you know, I mean, again, part of power plays that have been really good. You know, when you have Lemieux and you have Coffee and you have Murphy and you got Mullen and you got Stevens, like we had in Pittsburgh, we had a murderer's role players, but the power play was orchestrated and it worked, and guys knew where they had to go and guys knew what they had to do. Yeah, did it, and I, for whatever reason, it almost looks like they freelance on the power play, and it's it's just it's very strange. Yeah, and, and just one more thing, we'll move on to a different topic here. But just, you know, with that, with those players, too, I'm also baffled, too, because, you know, Carlson, previous teams he's been on, he's been the star, he's been the spotlight guy, and he's been the go-to guy. And now he comes to a team where he can kind of fall down a bit in the lineup and not have that pressure. You would think it would have helped him even more. So that that's the other baffling part to me is, like, you have less pressure on you. I mean, I know you're the new guy. I get it. But after a while, I think that the, the likes of Crosby and Malkin, guys like that do a great job of kind of shielding other guys from pressure and, and facing the media a little more than other guys do in a team. And I'm baffled that that hasn't helped him. It's, it's, it's gone the other way. It's really weird. No, that's fair, too. And you're not being hard on him. I think Eric would probably tell you, too, he'd like to be better. Um, he did not have a very distinguished game in, in Arizona, I mean, defensively in particular. Um, and that's been, you know, people forget Eric's always been a great offensive defenseman. I mean, everybody knows that. It's, you know, you don't need to be a super scout to know that. 
But what they forget about last year, he was a minus player. Yeah. He had 100 points, but he was a minus player. And I know San Jose wasn't a great team. Nonetheless, he was a minus player. So, you know, sometimes guys have to change. They have to sacrifice. The one guy I think has been really honest with himself is Evgeny Malkin. I really believe Gino's been honest with himself. And he said, you know what? I got to be better. Yeah. I've seen some quotes coming out, and I watched the, the telecast from Pittsburgh. And I think Jay Caulfield, by the way, one of my former players, a guy I just think the world of, when I left Pittsburgh and went to Hartford, um, he's played one more year in Pittsburgh, and then we brought him to Hartford just because of the great person that he is and the kind of uh, character that he has. And, and I watched Jay do these shows, and he's he's firm, but he's fair. Yeah, and I think you can tell that they're talking about they need more from certain guys, and Carlson's one, and, and obviously Gino's another. They need more from them, both of them. And Jeffrey B. commenting in the comments section, too, said he watched a ton of San Jose games last year with Carlson, and he benefits from being the guy, not the other way around. So there you go. This that, That's just the way that's he is. Way to go, Jeff. And, you yeah. know, I, I, I can mean, tell you in Ottawa, in Ottawa, the guys, when I went to work there, that's what they said about Carlson. He wanted to be the guy. He really yeah. Maybe these conflicted a bit with that. All right. You mentioned the 1994 Rangers, but let's go to the 2024 Rangers, Pierre. Uh, and we finished off the show talking about this yesterday, saying something's off with them. I mean, they, they, they're really good, but then they're really bad. And speaking of the San Jose Sharks, they beat the Rangers last night, 3-2 yeah. in overtime. And I'll tell you too, Pierre, I'm, I'm kind of watching as many games and as yeah. many things as I can on social media. And I forget who the reporter was. He, I know him well. It, anyhow, he, he's there's a there's a great picture um, where the the Rangers had broke in on a two and one and, and like trailing in their wake were two sharks flat on the ice like they they just dove and missed almost. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious. I, I'll have to send it to you if I can find it. And he says, "Tell us your tank," and without telling us your tank. And of course, then later on he goes, "Okay." I, I, I'll, I'll eat that one. I was wrong. I spoke too soon because there's the San Jose Sharks coming back on the New York Rangers and absolutely stunning them with this Thomas Hurdle goal. Let's go to the clip right now. Here's Barabanov. He'll bring it around the Ranger net. Hurdle. Heads for the front of the goal. Barabanov. Ruda. Hurdle. Scott! You know, a call. That's a great call. You know what's great. interesting about that? I know the Rangers are being good sports about it, but I'm going to say they're really ticked off on that goal because oh, yeah. Zibanejad got picked up high by Jan Ruda, and I believe Zibanejad lost his stick on the play from the angle I saw he lost his I was, stick. I was just going to bring it up to you, Pierre. <laughs> I think the Rangers were ticked off, and, the, and that created a huge void for Ruda, who got the pass from Barabanov and put it across the crease. Obviously, to the waiting hurdles, looking at a yawning net. But, you know, they've won three in a row now. And here's the thing about what I like with David Quinn and his staff are doing. And I like all those guys there, whether it's Worsofsky or Wiseman. They got, those are the assistants. So they're really good people. Um, and Brian Wiseman was a great player. Never played in the NHL, trust me. One of the all-time greats at the University of Michigan. Played for Dave Tippett in Houston in the IHL in the old LA. This guy was a great player. He's a gr- really good coach. Anyways. They're players that haven't quit on them, and it's yeah. been hard. Jimmy, yeah. 
Those are hard trips from the west to the east. Those are a lot of road miles, especially when you're getting kicked in the teeth almost every night. And they, they have not quit on their coaches, and they haven't quit on each other. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yep. Yep. And I, that's a positive for them going forward into their fan base, I think. You know, now are they really prospect rich? No, they're not. Uh, you know, their best prospects probably Will Smith, who's playing at Boston College right now, playing on a line with Perot, who's a first-round pick of uh, of uh, the Rangers, and, and Ryan Leonard, who's the first pick of Washington. But, you know, you look at it, they've got a lot to look forward to because of the mental toughness they're going to take out of this season, exactly. I think. And they, they, they're winning one-goal games, Pierre, extra time games. These are gutsy wins. They aren't There's just, you know, the other team decide, oh, we're playing the Sharks and we're not showing up. The Rangers wanted that game because they've been, like we said, they've been kind of up and down lately, and they're kind of looking at it like, all right, guys, no messing around. I know we're playing the Sharks, but we need to win this game. Don't don't go out there. And, t- and I didn't think they did. I just, I just thought that San Jose dug deeper, and that, that was the bottom line. The Rangers lost three of their last four, okay, mm-hmm. and they weren't playing a lot of world beaters. Um, and and the one win was in Anaheim. Um, but I would just say this: one mistake. They're up two nothing. They're comfy, cozy. They're in the third period. Eric Gustafson turns a puck over to Nico Sturm. Sturm puts it in, and the it's chaos. It's mayhem. You could just see, uh oh. So here, here's the thing that you take out of it. And, again, I'm sure Ranger fans are looking at this saying, tell us it's not going to be like last year. Again, great regular season, then the playoffs, when it matters a lot to have character, we don't make it. They're probably looking at that saying, wait a second now. That's San Jose. Like, we can't be that fragile, are we? Right. But it was – I thought that they looked fragile last night. And they're going to go home. They've got to play Vegas, who's resting up there, waiting for them after their win on Long Island. Last night. And it's a quick turnaround. They play home against uh, Vegas, and then the next day they're in Ottawa. Yeah. And, then, you know, people are making fun of Ottawa. They shouldn't be. And we've talked about this in the show. Ottawa's got some really good players. They've got young legs. They've got guys that are starting to really understand where they fit because Jacques Martin's done a great job with Daniel Alfred creating roles. Not saying the other coaches didn't. It's just it's different. It's just they're playing different. Um, and so Ottawa's not a knockdown. It's not an easy game to play. It's not an easy game to play. No, and I'll tell you this too, Pierre. I've been I've been saying it here to my friends and to Bruins fans around here. Bruins are going in there after playing Carolina tonight, big game on TNT. They turn around and fly right to Ottawa tomorrow, and I, I don't like that game. You're going to say, oh, the Bruins, are if they win tonight, they're on a seven-game win streak or whatever. And still, that game to me has all the – you know, all the makings of a trap game. Ottawa is, is just quietly, like you just said, they're, they're finding their roles. They bought into the structure right now. They know the playoffs are gone. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they're building towards something for next year. And they're giving, you know, their new management team a good idea of who wants to buy in and who doesn't. So well, they're, they're, they're doing, they're doing a good job right now. So, but the Rangers got to get things cleaned up soon. And that's going to be an interesting team Pierre. If they're still kind of, middling like they are right now if they're still doing that as the deadline approaches does jury do a shake-up move at this point i oh. thought maybe it would just be an addition type move 
but does he does he send someone packing to shake things up? Who knows? I don't know. I, that one's I, I can't. I wish yep. I could. I just don't. Oh, no, I, I don't either. I'm just saying. I mean, they're a team to watch for sure. Yep. Um, Pierre, and then we're going to switch gears, and then we're going to get to our questions. I think it needs to. And you you made you brought this up when you returned your topic ideas to me this morning, and rightfully so. We need to discuss and congratulate uh, women's hockey, especially in Boston, women's college hockey. The first ever women's bean pot. We've talked ad nauseum here about the, the men's bean pot and what it means to the city of Boston. We had a great interview with Jimmy Madigan. I think he pretty much got it clear to our viewers how much it, it, that tournament is part of the fabric of this culture of this city. Um, and the women's now are having their tournament at the TD Garden, just like the men's, and they had their first championship game at TD Garden last night, and banner was raised, and let's get to the goal that enabled it to go up to the rafters. And Noel are the forwards with her. Noel gets the pass, slides across, Irving scores! Early in overtime! And there you go, Northeastern beats BU 2-1 in overtime. Pierre, a thriller-type game. Uh, I talked to people that were there, people that worked the game as media saying, you know, they, they had a bet. It wasn't a sellout by any means, but they estimated about just over 10,000. The whole lower bowl was full. Mm -hmm. um, there was there was a buzz. You, you, you're living here now. You, you listen to the airwaves. You, you go on Nesson. Uh, there's been a buzz about this around here, and I think it's great. I'm so happy for the, that they're getting the proper attention they deserve. And they had a, a hell of a game there, and, and it's great for, for women's hockey and, furthermore, for girls playing hockey coming up here. Gives them something to go to and look and other heroes to look up to. Well said, my friend. So full disclosure, my wife went and watched. She was there. Awesome. So she went with some friends of ours. I stayed home because I had to watch the women's bean pot yep. and NHL. So I stayed home. And – I was sitting there really proud on our couch because a lot of those young ladies, I get to skate with in the summer oh, okay. and I do some work with them. And I'm, you know, I, it's just stuff to give back to the game. And those women are committed and they have to be at the rink at six o'clock in the morning. And we skate for an hour and 10 minutes, just like I do with my guy skaters. It's the same. And um, I'm watching them. I'm like, okay, okay. Don't turn that puck over. You know, I was like, my own kids are playing. All right. Just control the puck. Cause the first game, Harvard BC was amazingly tight. It ended up being 2-2, and credit to Harvard, they won in a shootout. But there was frenetic action going both ways because it were the best part about hockey, whether it's the men playing or the women playing, whenever there are mistakes made, it leads to chances. Exactly. And the chances create the energy in the game. So while there were some great plays being made, there were mistakes being made too. And okay. that's one of the best parts about the World Junior because in the men's tournament – at the World Junior, so many mistakes because of the pressure. Yeah. And you can see all this live reaction. And so I saw that in the Harvard-DC game, and I was like, wow, this is great. Way to go, ladies. That was really, really good. Then you watch the late game, and Skylar Irving, who played at Thayer Academy – or sorry, at Tabor, at Tabor, not Thayer, at Tabor. She, she gets two goals in the game. She's the star for Northeastern. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if that guy Madigan gets a bonus for winning the bean pot as the athletic director. <laughs> well, that's the first thing I thought of. I said, like, don't wonder if Jimmy's getting a bonus for that. But in all seriousness, BU deserves a lot of credit. They played hard. 
Northeastern obviously has had so much beanpot success on the men and the women's side. It's like cold hat for them. But uh, the Huntington Hounds were hammering last night. They were bringing it last night from Northeastern. So congratulations to all the players involved. Yeah, for sure. And to the folks at Nesson, too, by the way. All women broadcast. An all-women broadcast on the air. It was really well. Like, I'm telling you, as a person that's made their living in broadcasting for the last 26 years, um, that was tremendously well done. And congratulations to everybody. I'll tell you what, too. And I wanted, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I've become friends with Bridget Prue, who did the play by play. Phenomenal. And I, I was messaging her saying, You're killing it. Keep it up. I was so I'm happy good. for her. Um, you know, I've got, gotten to know her, and she's really a rising star in this business. Send me her contact, Jimmy. Please. Yeah, I will. She was, she was amazing, and uh, I was really happy for her. I see how hard she works. Just, just, you know, to give you an idea to, and this is just isn't on the women's, this is on the men's. When, you know, she's young, she's in her 20s, and she's trying to, she takes on whatever broadcasting gig she can get. And that, that's commonplace for anyone in this business. So, you know, when you see a lot of these young up and comers uh, doing games, you know, whether it's play by play or color, just know what's going on behind the scenes and how hard they're working. Because I know, I think she was saying they did like something like she's done probably 10 games uh, in the last two weeks. I mean, that's insane. Like, think about that. That's 10 games in 14 days that she's called play-by-play on. Uh, she's probably doing a lot of tea and honey like I do here. Um, it's, just, it's just a phenomenal job by her, a phenomenal job by Nessin. Uh, and it's great. It's great for the game. And, you know, that's why we love doing this this podcast too, Pierre, is because we love the game. We love helping to promote the game of hockey. And so kudos to the, the women and everyone involved that made that a great production last night. One of the best parts of their production, I thought anyways, is when they pan the crowd, all the young girls that yes. were there watching and saying, someday that could be me. Exactly. We all they didn't have that 20 years ago. No, 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 no. You know? Not a chance. Now, I can just tell you, when I was coaching at Babson College with Steve Sterling, we had a thing called the Europa Cup. It was created by Steve Sterling and Sam Fl- or Dick Flood, um, and, and it was a huge success. It was really a huge, huge success. We also started the Women's Europa Cup. People don't know that, oh. and that became a gigantic – a lot of the first Olympic ladies that played in 98 Nagano, they started at Europa Cup. Huh. So I'm just telling you, a lot of them were there, and, and one of the young ladies we had – Believe it or not, she has three boys playing in the NHL right now. Oh, really? Who's that? That is correct. Jack, Jimmy Hughes' wife. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. So I'm just letting you know like a lot. Uh, yeah. AJ, Molesco was, AJ Molesco was at that camp. That's so we, awesome. we, had a lot, we had so many um, that I could think of. This is back in the 1980s when these were very much. I'm, I'm watching those young ladies in the stand just say, and, and I just see their eyes are big like saucers, and they're going, oh, someday that's going to be me. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Someday it is going to be you. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. I know. I that's that's that's, 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 that's there was awesome. a great picture going around Twitter, too, of the Northeastern players who came up in between games, or maybe it was like late in, in, in the consolation game, and they were kind of like in the runway there in the front row, and they were signing autographs. I don't know if you I saw, saw it. I saw it. That, that hit me. That was I was like, that's what it's about. And I love that. And I actually – Pierre, I, I forget what the league was that they were in, but um, 
I don't know if you know Bob Rotundo who runs the Wilmington Wing Restusia. You know, he's yeah. ran that forever. That's where the Bruins used to practice before they went to war. Yeah, and he used to run a team called the Boston Shamrocks. He's been very instrumental in women's hockey around here, uh, helping to promote the game and help girls get scholarships. Uh, and I got to work with them. And I did some writing for them and helped them out kind of promoting uh, on the side there back, I want to say this is like 2017, 2018. And I was able to bring my daughter uh, to one of their games. And then, you know, she got to go in a locker room and meet the player. And I'll just never forget her going around looking like at every player, like, whoa. Yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing so thing. So I just, I want to give the proper kudos. Um, it just shows you how important yesterday was for the hockey world in Boston in particular, but for women's hockey in particular, it's not professional. Um, it's young ladies learning how to play in a pressurized environments, And I thought they all handled it fantastically well. Yep. I couldn't believe how composed they were. Um, but, you know, I, I talked to Scott Fusco, who runs one of the largest women's programs in North America called the East Coast Wizards. Oh, they, yeah. own, they own twin rinks up in Bedford, Massachusetts. Um, and, and he was just so proud of what the players had done yesterday for women's hockey. And I also was texting with the commissioner of the ECAC, the newly named the commissioner, uh, Doug Christensen. And I said, you know, you got to be excited because Harvard went in there and took a swing and a big bite out of Boston College, who have a very good team, yeah. and it ends up a tie. And, and, you know, he's like, this was great for hockey. I'm like, really, it was. It really yeah. was. And so hats off to everybody. Way to go. For sure. All right. Let's, uh, let's open it up to some questions here. I see them piling up in the chat room here. Uh, so what do we got first? Oh, Andrew McGinnis, uh, former member of the Ice Guys uh, podcast. We've had a couple, you know, Alex B. Smith and Cameron have joined us here before. Uh, which teams do you guys believe will be the most active at the deadline? Thanks. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Andrew. I, you know what, Jimmy? You go first on this one. You know, Pierre, and I'm going to forget because we were kind of talking about a secret team that could uh, kind of shake it up today. And I already forgot because <laughs> my head's been in a spiral all day. Um, just off the top of my head, I think some that could kind of dictate where the market goes, specifically the goalie market, I would think would be Montreal and Anaheim. I'm, I'm really curious to see how they handle their specific goaltending situations. And then once one of them does, maybe it's not them that does it first, um, but if it is them, you know what the ripple effect is. So, um, I'd keep an eye on them, but you know, I would go back here to, to one of the teams we were just speaking about. And I, I, I'm really interested to watch the Rangers because you keep bringing up what a disappointment it was for them to go out in the first round. And now that they're going through this little quagmire, so to speak, um, they say, oh, we're, no, 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 we're not going there again. We need to shake something up quick. So I'm interested in that. Now you go Pierre. Well, those are good ones. Um, I think Carolina. Ooh, speaking I think, of the team, I'll see tonight. Yeah, I, think I watch Carolina if they don't start to gain a little more traction because I, I think they understand the importance of goaltending. You know, I, I hear these theories from different prognosticators saying uh, goaltending is overrated. You need that, and then, 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 then okay. I, I'm just telling you what I hear. And I, please, you have to have a goalie, and you need to have a goalie that's stable. Carolina would not have won the cup in, in 06 had it not been for Cam Ward. I can just no, tell you, no chance. Bruins just win in 2011. There's no chance. They yep. should have lost Montreal in the first round. Yep. He replaced Martin Gerber, and it was it. It was over. He yep. said it was over. 
Um, so I'm going to be interested to watch what Carolina does. I'm going to be interested to watch what the Rangers do. And I think out west it's going to be very interesting to see if Edmonton does more. Because mm. I think they're starting to feel it now. They clearly trust Knobloch and Coffee, yeah. the two new coaches. Um, there's an unbelievable – like they've won 14 games in a row, Jimmy. Mm. This is so they're not a fluke. Yeah. They're, they're legit. Now, you know, is it going to be that easy in the playoffs for that team? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. But they want to give them credit, especially Coach Knobloch and Coach Coffee. They've done a really good job there. But I think they might do something. Yep. So I think and Carolina Rangers and Edmonton are three teams I'm kind of going to be looking and at. And what about the Flyers? That's the team you mentioned to me today. Well, I did, I did that, but I think for different reasons. I think if yeah. they – if Keith Jones and, and Danny Breer really truly think they can make the playoffs, then I think they'll make a move. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. If they think, you know what, we're playing with house money, let's just keep our prospects yeah. and keep our powder dry for down the road – then I think you'll see them not do anything. And flipping back to the province of Alberta, don't forget the Oilers' rival, the Calgary Flames. Could be uh, interesting. But I, I just feel like there's a lot of smoke, but no fire there. So the big one is, what are you going to do with Noah Hannafin? We've talked about this from one of our first shows. And what are you going to do with Elias Lindholm? Because they both need contracts. Those are, Jimmy, those are big questions. Yep, I know. Now, I would say this, if Noah Hannafin's on the market, just knowing Boston and where he went to your alma mater, St. Sebastian's High School, at Boston College, starting at St. Sebastian's today, I will be, watching them play against Noble and Greenhouse School. Um, but, yeah, no, I think if Hannafin goes to market, I would say Boston's lining. There'll be other teams too, but I bet you Boston's lining up. And the thing is, too, Pierre, don't forget, he, th that market will not handle it well if another star player walks in free well, agency. Yeah. They let him get to that point, and he goes, after what happened with Goudreau, that is going to be – all hell's going to break loose in Calgary. How, how about what happened with Kachuk? Oh, Kachuk, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know yeah. I know they got Hubert and Uyghur back, but right. let's call it what it is. They and you know what? One other, one other thing, too. I used to spend a lot of time in Calgary in my day. It's not like Calgary's a bad city. Calgary's a really spectacular city, and it's a very livable place. So if you think about it, here's some of the players Calgary should have on their team. Adam Fox, okay? Yep. They, he got pushed out of there because his agent didn't want him there. But Matt Cater, which is fine. I get it. Matthew Kachuk. Yep. Johnny Goodrow. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking at potentially two more in Lindholm and and uh, Hannafin. I don't think that sits well with your season ticket holders. Randy Workman, our, our man in Calgary there in the chat room, says, Jimmy, we burned down the dome. They might actually uh, like you for that because then they can finally get that new place up. But uh, we'll yeah, see. Randy's good. Thank you, Randy, by the way, for all your support. It's awesome. That's great. Stop. All you. right, let's go to the next question. Cole Blue on Twitter, Manny Terbone. Uh, right now, past the halfway mark, which team has all the intangibles to win the cup? That's a great question. Yes. I like that he didn't say who has all the skill. I like that he said who has all the intangibles because that's what matters most when you're trying to win a cup. Yeah. Here, I'll let you go first because I, off the top of my head, I can't. I don't have one. I, I do. I think I have one that's got it. They got 
a hard butt coaching. They got goaltending depth. They have a GM and a president of hockey operations, not afraid to make a move. They got star power up front. They probably got the best offensive defenseman in the league. I'm going to say the Vancouver Canucks got a lot. And their depth players, they're good players. Like Sam Lafferty, Sam Lafferty, Teddy Bluger. These guys are hard to – they're playoff-style players. They're hard to play against. And so Vancouver, to me, might have – most of the intangibles you need to have to be successful, as long as they stay healthy, obviously. That's a big yeah. part of it. Yeah. I bet the Toronto Maple Leafs would like uh, Lafferty right now, huh? Or the Pittsburgh Penguins would like Teddy Bluger right now. You know, you know, it's a pain in the derriere to play against, too. And I, I don't know how – I'm sure people talk about because he gets numbers. That JT Miller is a tough Oh, yeah. Guy. Oh, yeah, just, man. I've, I've heard that. Yeah, I've yeah, heard I, mean, I was in the I was in the bubble with them in Edmonton, and uh, they had some success in the playoff that year. The way it was set up, yeah, JT was driving the bus. He really oh, yeah. was, and so I, I saw it firsthand because we were all locked in together. Yeah. There was nowhere to go, and uh, I was really impressed by his leadership skills. And he's a tough guy. Like yeah. he's not fun to play against. I, I've had some players come out after games against him and be like that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> so, anyhow, all right. Next question. I just want to say one thing. In the bubble, sorry, Randy. We'll get to you in a sec. In the bubble in Edmonton, I saw stuff, and I know I shared one story which we can never talk about. Yes. With players, the intensity level. All these guys are just going to hang out together when the games are over. They're going to drink beers and play cards. Nothing could have been further from the truth in the Edmonton bubble, and. I saw a couple instances where we almost had chaos. Yeah. Like we almost had terrible stuff going on. I mean, yep. it had nothing to do with the management people. They all co-mingled and had fun together. The players, though, I saw one night. I was like, okay. And I just grabbed the guy as a friend of mine. I said, Let's go for a walk. This is going to end badly. What an experience that must have been. I know you, you think sometimes about writing a book, Pierre. You could probably get about three chapters out of that experience, I imagine. I, I was seeing the NHL handle it well. The city of Edmonton was phenomenal. All the um, people that were serving and all the volunteers uh, doing all the testing, they were unbelievable. I'm telling you, it was – it was that. Yeah. I was there I was there for two and a half months. Wow. So I can tell you how – nobody's really talked about this, but I will now that we're on it, and then we'll get yeah, a yeah. question. The Dallas Stars, the referees that made the cut – Kenny Albert and I were the only people there for that long, two and a half months. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and the production people, by the way, and camera people, I apologize. I wasn't, I didn't mean to forget them. Um, they were there as well. What I remember the most was after about a month, Dallas was still there and they were having issues. They had to bring in some psychological people to come in and talk to their players. Because you had some guys in the team whose wives just had babies. They never saw the babies. You know, you had stuff that was going on. It was really – and they went right to the end. Obviously, they lost in the final, but they went right to the end. I mean, they were there for two and a half months. Yeah. With no contact to the outside world except for phones and, you know. Yeah, and I know they didn't win it, but, I mean, I would imagine, as we've said many times, you know, you always quote Fred Shiro here. I mean, those guys are bonded forever. Just after that experience, I would say, yeah. they are bonded forever, you know. Yeah, and, and people said, well, they should put an asterisk, but no, they shouldn't. Pretty no, bad. that's one of the hardest things I've ever seen. And, yeah. I, you know, I've done every Stanley Cup uh, final. 
I'm going to say since 19 or since 2000, and I participated in two as an active participant. So, you know, a lot of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. And um, I would just tell you that that the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars, both those teams, deserve so much credit for what they did. They really yeah. do. I. I all the players deserve. Yeah, players. and even in any sport, I don't. I don't like when when people try to say there should be an asterisk next to that Super Bowl. There should be an asterisk next to that NBA final. Next to that Stanley Cup. Next to that World Series. No, I don't think that at all. Because like you just you just illustrated to us, Pierre, there was so much other stuff than the game that yeah. these athletes were dealing with at the time. Much of it being what you referenced there, mental health, and yeah. and. and the, like it's it's amazing, and I'm look. I know nobody's going to feel bad for millionaires. I'm not asking you to, but I'm at least asking you to respect what they went through. And I know you saw it firsthand, so good on you for saying that. Yep. Here we go. Right. Let's go to Randy's question. What do you think about these Kako rumors? Could he be moved out of New York? Honestly, Randy, that's the first I've heard about. I know there were some before. I haven't heard the latest stuff, so I I can't really comment on it. But Pierre, I don't know if you're hearing anything. I haven't heard no, but I know he's obviously just back from injury. Um, I haven't heard anything about that at all. I haven't. I'll start to, because Randy asked. I'll yeah, my look into it. But I have not heard anything about that. All right, but thanks for bringing it up. We will look into it. All right, next question. Okay, so he was talking about the Bruins. Moonlight Graham. I love. I love the handle there. Great movie. <laughs> Feel the dreams. That's great. Moonlight. All right. Um, do we think the Bruins add toughness. I'm going to say an emphatic yes. Yeah, I would say yes. Um, the one thing I would say, though, they tried a little of that last year with Garnet Hathaway, remember, coming in. Um, the one thing I wouldn't undersell is Trent Frederick, Jimmy. Uh, you know, I think Trent, Trent's, you know, he's there, and I think he's done a tremendous job. Uh, Lauko, I think, has done some good I think he's done some good things. Um, but I think if they could do it at the right price point, they would. But I, I would say if Donnie Sweeney had a wish list, I would say, you know, if we could get that guy Hannafin, uh, you know, yeah. I think, I think that it's changes the whole. Could you imagine this defense? So you got McAvoy, you got Carlo, you got Lindholm, you got, let's say, Forbert, you got Grizzlick, and that's just. Hmm? And Hannafin. And then you had Noah Hannafin. Yeah. I don't know, Jimmy. I think that'd be a hard defense to get through. You know, we saw St. Louis have the big bodies down low and they won the cup. We saw Vegas have the big bodies and win the cup. Saw Washington have the big bodies and win the cup. Tampa with the gigantic bodies win back-to-back cups and go to the final three years in a row. I just don't know if there would be a team that could match up with Boston yeah, like that. And, puck, and big bodies that can move the pop, too. That's the key. Well, they can play. They can play. They're all players. So that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'll tell you, too. You bring up Lauco, Pierre, and I know you're pressed for time, so we'll do make one or two. No, no, we're good. I just got to get to that game because I don't, I don't want to let these guys down. I want to go yeah, watch. I'll tell you, though, Pierre, Lauco yesterday was talking to us. I don't know if you've seen. He's been doing a lot of social media posts. And he's always got a thing of grapes, like a big thing of grapes in his hand. And I guess this has become his new thing to eat <laughs> before and after games to hydrate himself. Okay. And it, it's weird. now it's like his good luck charm. But now it's spreading. So Charlie Coyle's eating grapes now, and other players are starting to come in. <laughs> so if anyone out there uh, runs like a, a produce store or a company or a grape produce company, get on it. Call the Bruins. Call Donnie Sweeney right now. You might have a, a good deal to be made there. 
either that or the Brewers are going to say it's not in our budget. Slash it. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, listen, Brooms. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. It's a yes. joke. Good stuff. Kidding. All right, let's go to the next question. All right, Jeffrey B. Ottawa is due to go on a little winning streak. Pinto, regardless of controversy, has given them depth. He has great goal yeah. last night. Uh, really happy for him. He's he's played really well. He, he's a little rusty, but not bad. He's played really well in his first two games back here. Yeah, no, Shane's great. He's an awesome person. Um, it's unfortunate what happened with the gambling stuff. Um, I still nobody really knows the whole story except the league. So it's. Anyways, moving along, um, got happy, got a goal last night for him. Uh, I got to know him really well. I'm a huge fan. I think the world of him as a person and as a player. Um, and what that does is it allows him to put Ridley Gregg in the wing. It's an easier game defensively for Ridley, and his offensive skills are phenomenal. Ridley Gregg has really good offensive skills, and it moves Rourke Chartre uh, deeper into the lineup so he's not playing as a third-line player, and I think that helps him as well. And it gives some serious insulation to Josh Norris. So just getting them back makes a ton of guys better. It really does. For sure. I know. I'm glad you brought up really Greg, Greg Tube here. I, I was really impressed with him. You told me about him a while back. Watch this kid. And I have been. He's been, he's been stellar. So I, got, I coached his father. Full Again, full disclosure, there are two guys on that okay. team. Right? Jeff Sanderson, Jake's father, uh, and uh, Greg Ridley's dad. They're both great players and they were great players and really good people um and i see those kids on the ice and i'm laughing but i i was in edmonton um i went to go watch ridley play uh -huh. and, and he's trying to fight the whole team he's playing <laughs> you know he's playing in brandon and they're playing edmonton and edmonton's got a big physical team and one of the guys is caden Gooley, and he's obviously a real good player and i met with the kid after the game and i go how big are you he goes, I'm probably 5'11". I go, no, you're not. I said, I'm 5'10", and I'm bigger than you. I get an apple off your head, so let's calm down. Um, <laughs> and I go, how much do you weigh? And he goes, I don't know, about 190. I said, no, you don't. Uh, let's... He's such a good kid, and he's tough as nails. So he, he said, the one thing you need to work on is picking your battles. You can't fight everybody every night. Yeah. And he set the tone for his team. And every time he was out there, he's trying to start mayhem, which I know. is, yeah, but like that's ne you're never going to last in the league doing that. So I was just trying to get him. And he's like, no, I got to sit. I said, I get it, I get it. But he's such a tough. It's one thing I'll always remember him telling me, like, well, I'm this big, and I'm, and I'm like, no, just <laughs> slow down, use your skill. He's got in, in Lauco too. He's got some road runner in him. That's what that's what I yeah, love there. Like, I just. Type. Love that I just I have so much time for a player like Ridley Gregg, just the way he carries him. And he's he is tough as nails. He's a really tough kid. We we were gonna close here, but I actually think let's just go to this question, guys, by Vid Zombie there about Lane Hudson. I know Pierre will love to talk about it. Just quickly, this will be the last one. Do you think Lane Hudson gets a sniff at the NHL this season? I do. I, I, I think do. the Canadians would be making, and I never criticize what other teams do because I've again walked in their shoes. But if they didn't put him in live fire games, they'd be making a big mistake. He needs to learn what it's going to take for him this summer to be ready for next year. Yeah. And the only way he's going to learn that is by being on the ice with it exactly. and see how big the guys are, see how strong the guys are, see how fast the players are, see how determined the penalty killers are because that's going to be his big thing is adjusting to penalty killing schemes because he's going to run the power play. 
he's going to have to get used to that. So the only way you get used to it is to play. And I look at as much as people in Montreal want their team to be in the playoffs, I don't think that's happening, Jimmy. Yeah. I, I don't. So give the kid a, a bunch of just rehearsals and let him get ready. Why not? Why not? And by the way, I want to talk. We won't have time. I don't think we've got Doc Emmerich. I'm really excited. Doc Emmerich joining us tomorrow here on Press Box Thursday. And then on On Campus Friday, we have Harvard head coach Teddy Donato. So two great guests coming up. Thank you to all our viewers today for all the questions and participating here. Uh, a lot of crazy hockey news going on. So we appreciate you joining us and getting our take. Thanks to our production crew. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the eye test on the sick podcast network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.